You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I've got a bonus Georgia tennis edition of the podcast for you guys today. And don't worry, for those of you who are football-only fans, I get it, but this episode is not cutting into your football fix this week. I promise. We still have two football-heavy episodes planned for you guys later on this week, including the first edition of our Scheme Theme series, which I am really excited about. But for now, I just got back home from the men's tennis match today where our guys clinched a spot in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament after blanking number 25, Texas Tech 4-0. And my excitement at having two teams now heading to Lake Nona slash Orlando. It's technically Lake Nona, but like you stay in Orlando for this thing. But two teams now in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. That has compelled me to jump on here and talk some Georgia tennis, some spontaneous Georgia tennis here. Wasn't planned, but why not, right? Uh, I just want to brag on them a little bit and get you guys ready for what lies ahead as they continue their runs through the NCAA tournament. I did invite Charlie to join me today. Obviously, it was late notice because this is kind of just a spur-of-the-moment type of deal today, but she declined my invitation because she said, quote, I just can't. Uh, and of course, and this is after 10 plus hours of tennis fun this weekend. So in her defense, I get it. It was ab- Today it was absolutely smoking. It was hot this afternoon. I know it was only like 83 degrees, technically only 83, but it felt hotter than that. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things with no real football season last season. I've kind of forgotten just how hot some of these outdoor sporting events can get. So it's on one hand, it's really nice to be able to get out there with the crowds. Nobody's really wearing masks. It was awesome to get out there and just kind of feel what we used to feel, but kind of forgot about the heat. So it was hot. In her defense, I get it. I actually saw her at the match today, and honestly, she she did. She looked like she was about a couple seconds away from passing out. So we'll give her a break on this one. But let's get to the tennis talk, and I guess let's go ladies first, right? Right? All right, well, let's go round one against Austin P for the women's team. It was an absolute cakewalk, as it should have been. Our girls, as I told you guys last week, are the number three overall seed. So losing to Austin P would have been the NCAA basketball equivalent of like a one seed losing to a 16 seed. 
it just wasn't going to happen. Uh, but still, you know, it's fun to watch them tennis. You only get a couple matches this weekend before they go to the Lake Nona, and we won't see them again until next season. So still have to get out there and watch it. And, of course, we want an easy, easy doubles point with wins on courts two and courts three. I do quickly want to give two of our players who don't get a ton of credit on this team because they don't play as much right now. But Anya Hurdle and Allie Clayton, I want to give them some props. They actually got to play court three in doubles, and they played awesome. They actually got the clinch. I think it was a 6-2 victory on court three, I want to say. They played really, really well. Anya had an injury. She had a health thing earlier in the year. But she was, prior to that, playing court one doubles with Katarina Gokic. But when she went down uh, with her health issue, then it was freshman Ariana Arsenault who filled in at court one. And her and Kat had been a great team on court one for most of the season. So it was really great to see Anya get back out there and play some really good tennis. And got, to, got a chance to see Allie Clayton, who we don't get to see all that much. But Allie was really impressive. She played extraordinarily well at the net, really quick, soft hands. She served well, really just displayed a great all-around game. So it was great to see them get out there and not only get a chance to play, but also clinch for the team. So contributed to the victory in a big way. So I want to give a shout-out to those two young ladies. And then we cruised to a very quick 4-0 victory with three dominant singles wins. Of course, Katarina Jokic on court one, who I think is the best singles player in the country. I know she's ranked number four right now, whatever. She's the best in my book. She had a 6-0, 6-2 win on court one on Friday afternoon. Then it was Morgan Coppock, who was just flat out balling right now with a 6-0, 6-0. I mean, that's a, that is as dominant as you can get. 6-0, 6-0 win on court four. And then it was fifth-year senior Elena Christofi with the clinch uh, on court six with a 6-0-6-2 victory of her own. I mean, it was a quick match, guys. It was over in about an hour and a half. Actually got a chance to see our guy, Josh Stevens, again. It was awesome to see Josh. And it's great that we have made at least one Georgia tennis fan out of all of our listeners. Hopefully, we've made a few more, but it was really great to see Josh out there. Josh is just such a great dude. It was great to see him out there. And it kind of reminded me of kind of how I was when I first started to go to the Georgia tennis matches. I have I had basically not basically I had absolutely zero tennis background other than, other than like maybe when I was a kid like on summer break and like Wimbledon would be on and like there you kind of be flipping through channels you would see Wimbledon be like oh you might watch it for two or three minutes be like okay I have no idea what's going on I'm gonna flip the channel I never played tennis a day of my life hadn't really watched much of it so I was a complete novice and still pretty much am I feel like I am but I've, I've learned a lot over the years but I remember kind of how I was and I, I just didn't know if I was going to like it, wasn't sure, but went to one match and I was sold like immediately. And I kind of got that. I don't want to speak for Josh, but I kind of got that feeling that he was into it, just talking to him a little bit there. So it's great to uh, to kind of spread the love for, for Georgia Tennis out there. And hopefully some of you guys have gotten a chance to take in one of the matches over the course of the season. And if not, it's all good. If you're looking to, to take a trip and get out and do something now that the world's kind of opening back up ever so slightly, now actually more than slightly, Take the family down to Orlando this this weekend, next weekend, and uh, hopefully watch one or both of our teams play for a national title. You certainly don't want to miss that opportunity. But anyway, let's keep moving on. So round one was an absolute cakewalk. Round two against Wake Forest, not quite as much of a cakewalk. It, it ended up being a 4-1 victory, but we absolutely had to work a little for this one. We had to sweat a little bit for this one. And I'm going off memory here for this match, just putting that out there because Georgia didn't release an official story recap or like box score. So don't quote me exactly on all these scores. I'm going from, from memory here. I think I've got most of this accurate. It's close enough, right? But we did win the doubles point. We had Meg 
Kowalski and Leah Ma back out there on court three. That's our number, our normal court three duo. They were back out there. And uh, we won a fairly easy doubles point against Wake Forest. That, that wasn't too stressful. But in singles, it did get a little too close for my liking. Like, we were never in doubt. Like, this match was never in doubt. We were never really threatened, you know, in a way that, like, I was like, oh, my God, we might lose this match. We weren't threatened like that. But we certainly didn't dominate like we did on Friday. That's that's for sure. So in singles, let's start with Leah Ma on court two. I think, personally, for my money... I think Leah Ma is the key to this entire team. We know what we have on court one with Katarina Yoki. She's as good as anyone in the country. Doesn't mean she's going to win every single match, but she wins most of them. She's, well, I think, 24-1 and one right now this season. She wins most of them, and she wins matches against the best players in the country. She could lose, sure, but we know what we have there. Meg Kowalski is just the epitome of consistency on court three. We know what we have there. Morgan Coppock is just flat-out murdering people on court four. We've I feel pretty good about what we have there. And then we've got the two fifth-year seniors, Mark Gonzalez and Ellen Christofi, on courts five and six. Again, just consistency and experience. Leah Ma on court two, she's the key to this team. And I say that because I think we've said this on the show before. I think she might be. Now, this sounds blasphemous with how I've built up Katarina Jokic, and she she deserves it. She's incredible. Best player I've ever seen in Athens. But I think Leah might actually be the most talented player on the team like in terms of like her her ceiling, like her potential, what she can be. She is certainly not as good as Kat right now. No question about it. Kat is on another level. But when Leah is playing to her potential, what that does is it takes our entire team to another level. Like we, do, I don't want to say we have two cats out there, but when she plays at her highest level, I mean, we have two of the best singles players in the country when she's playing at that level. Now, you don't know if she's always going to be playing at that level because she's really young, right? She's really young and she's kind of just working on the consistency with her intensity and focus and things like that. But when she is dialed in and she is playing the way that she can play to her potential, she's really right up there as good as anyone in the country. I, I really believe that. And she was dominant on Saturday with a 6-0, no doubter win on court two. I mean, Leah, guys, like, if you haven't seen her, it's hard to describe it. She just, she glides around the court. She just moves so smoothly and effortlessly. She's tall. She's long. She can hit any shot at almost any time. She moves so well. There's really no physical weaknesses. There's, like, again, I'm, I'm kind of a tennis novice. I will own that. But I don't really see any holes in her game from, like, a physical standpoint. She can literally hit any single, any shot in the book. She really can. My only, this is not a criticism, the thing that she really has to work on as a young tennis player is, again, just the the mental side of things. Not that she's a head case, not at all, but just that, just making that intensity more consistent, match in and match out, and just having that focus, laser focus, match in and match, match out. When she starts to do that, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to stop her. I mean, she's that good, but she is going to have to be the best version of herself this coming weekend. She's going to have her work cut out for her. She has a top 10 opponent she's going to be facing uh, against Virginia coming up next Sunday. So hopefully we see that version of Lee. And if we do, this team can, we can absolutely win it all. The abs, we, even if Leah doesn't play like that consistently, we can still win it all. We're still that good. But with Leah playing at that level, I don't know, man. We might, we, I don't know if, I don't know if I can sit here and say that we're the favorites. North Carolina is really, really good, but we're right there. We are absolutely right there. So she, 
start things off in singles play with the first singles victory. Then it was fifth-year senior Mar Gonzalez coming up big with a 6-2, 6-3 victory on court five to push things to 3-0. And it was Morgan Coppock again on court four with the clinch, fresh off her SEC tournament MVP performance. It was a tough first set for her. She certainly got pushed in the first set. She was able to get it 6-4, and then she clinched in the second. So another great performance from Morgan. And then, you know, I, I, even though that that clinched the match, I got to throw this out there because this is just, if we're talking about what could be some potential concerns heading into this week 16 next weekend, I'm going to start here. Junior Meg Kowalski. Not because I'm concerned about how good of a player Meg is. Meg is awesome. I've said before on this show, Meg is my favorite. She's my current favorite Georgia athlete from any sport. I don't care if I'm about football, baseball, tennis, basketball, whatever. She is my favorite current Georgia athlete. I love watching her play. Uh, she did go down on court three, though, on Saturday. And this is my big concern heading into the Sweet 16 next weekend. Again, not about Meg as a player. Meg is a baller. Guys, Meg has only lost three matches in three years in Athens. She's that good. But in this match, I, I'm, I'm nervous right now because Meg was dominating in the first set. She won the first set 6-0, and she was flat out toying with her opponent. I was like, I was watching that match. Okay, it's going to be 6-0, 6-0. Like, this girl does not stand a chance against Meg. Meg is just destroying her. But in the second, she came out and pretty early on in the second set, it was clear something wasn't right with Meg. But she still managed to fight and had a chance. She actually had a chance to serve for the match at 6-5, I want to say it was, but got broken um, on that service. And in the third set, it was very clear there was an injury problem because Meg was doing some extremely un-Meg-like things. Uh, if you've never seen her play, Meg's strength is her consistency. She doesn't hit the heaviest ball. She doesn't hit with the most pace, things like that. No, she doesn't have the, the Katarina Jokic backhand. She doesn't have that. But Meg does a lot of things really, really well. Her strengths are you know, getting to the ball. She runs, she, like she will risk life and limb for every single ball. Like it's incredible to watch. The spirit this girl plays with, the heart she plays with, it's incredible. It's truly, it's inspiring to watch her play. So getting the ball, keeping balls in play, playing with a high tennis IQ, just grinding out wins. That is Meg Kowalski tennis. But she was making a ton of unforced errors in the second, especially the third set. And that's what told me something was wrong. That is not Meg Kowalski. That is not how she plays tennis. Uh, she wasn't, and she also wasn't going all out for balls, risking the life limb like she does on, the, on a regular basis. So just watching her, again, that, like, that was not Meg. That's the antithesis of who Meg is as a tennis player. And she called for a medical timeout. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Uh, her wrist, if I'm just speculating here, and I hate to do that because I don't know, but her wrist was taped up pretty good. It looked like she got it taped up again between uh, one of the games, but it also looked like she was favoring her hip a little bit, and that would explain why she kind of stopped moving like she normally does. I think that might explain that a little bit there, and I, you also have to wonder if maybe this is something that she kind of dinged up a little bit coming into the weekend, and maybe that played into why she and Leah didn't play doubles on Friday. I, I just kind of read into it as like, okay, we're letting Anya and and Ali play against Austin P because we're probably not going to be threatening this match. Like we're, we're going to win this match, and these girls really work hard, and they're part of this team. And they deserve a chance to play. That's kind of what I thought it was, and it probably was certainly at least part of that. But maybe it also has something to do with Meg, you know, not being a hundred percent and trying to limit her exposure out there in the court. Possibly again, I'm just throwing things out there. I don't, I don't know. But all I know is I hope to God that Meg is okay. Number one, because we love Meg. Meg is awesome, and she, she 
means so much to this team. She, must, she honestly means so much to the, university, to the university. I mean, you just want Meg to be okay. But she's also an absolute rock for our team. And for our team, we need Meg to be okay too. Uh, as I said earlier, still only the third dual match loss of her career. Guys, that's insane. And I don't really count this as a loss in my book because she was clearly hurt. Uh, she didn't really get beat. Uh, but whatever, right? It technically was a loss. So just something to watch there. I hope it's just a minor thing and she's fine and I'm like reading way too much into things. I don't know. I don't know. I was just concerned because I saw something from Meg that I never, ever, ever see and she was clearly hurt. But just again, kudos to Meg. It kind of tells you who Meg is. Hurt or not, she didn't retire. She just kept grinding, kept fighting, kept trying to do whatever she could for our team. And that's Meg Kowalski. She puts that G on her chest and she becomes like Drake uh, Drake Bernstein, the assistant coach, said on, in our interview earlier in the year, which I just thought was awesome. When she puts that G on her chest, she becomes like a superhero. And that's kind of, that's extraordinarily accurate when you watch her play. So just hope she's okay for, for her and also for this team because we're going to need her. We need Meg. Meg is a, a rock for this team. But anyway, Moving on here, so um, MVP of the weekend. So had two matches this weekend for the women. So if I had to pick an MVP of the weekend, I'm gonna go with Morgan Kopic again. We know Cat is awesome. Cat's the best player on the team. I'm not saying she's not, but like guys, Morgan Kopic is playing lights out right now on court four. Again, she won the MVP of the SEC tournament. Uh, was it a week and a half ago, two weeks ago now, and she was four and zero. This weekend, she won two doubles matches and two singles matches. Won one of the singles matches, 6-0, 6-0. She's flat out dominating right now. And she's really kind of made us forget about Vivian Wolf. For those of you who have followed women's tennis for a little while, go back to the 2019 season, which is the last full season we had when we were the runners-up. We lost to Stanford in the championship match. Vivian Wolf was awesome for us on court four. Her and Meg, you can almost basically, like Meg played court six that season as a freshman. Vivian played court four. And you basically could just chalk up both of those courts, four and six, as wins every single time out. It's one of the reasons we were so good. We were just so deep. And Vivian was just awesome. Um, but she left after that season and was going to go pro, didn't play anywhere last year. But now she's on UCLA's team, and they're really good. They're the four seed, actually. So she's out in California. I mean, best of luck to her, I guess, when she's not playing Georgia. And I was like, that was the spot I was, I don't know if I was concerned about it. I was watching it early in the years, like, can Mo be as good as Vivian was for us? And and I didn't know. I, I was really watching all season, but right now the answer has become yes. Morgan has become as dominant as Vivian was two years ago. She absolutely has. She's playing lights out right now. And she, she's also a really fun player to watch. She plays with a lot of energy, probably the most passion of any player. Her and Meg probably, um, but she's very loud out there. Like you, Even if you, like she plays in the pits, you can always see if you're sitting in the grandstands. Um, but you always know if Mo has done something good. Like you can always keep track of what she's doing because she's very loud and uh, lets you know when things are going well for her. So I love Mo. She's been awesome for us, and she's playing as well as she's ever played in her entire career, and she'll be back next year with this COVID year. So excited to see what she can do moving forward, but hopefully she can keep carrying this through the insulator tournament. She's been, she's been awesome for us. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads.
Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lipson Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipson Ads. Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So what's up next? What's up next? So now we move in the Sweet 16, and we have a date against number 14, Virginia. Again, if you're equating this like NCAA basketball tournament seeding, which I know you guys are more familiar with, that would put Virginia as a four seed, whereas we would be a one seed. But this is a really, really good Virginia team. Like I, I'm not scared because our girls are awesome. But Virginia's good. They have two singles players in the top 10 of the individual rankings. I have not seen them play, so I can't speak from like from that point of view. But just looking at where they're ranked and who they've lost to and what they've done this season, that this is a good team. Two singles players in the top 10 of the individual rankings. Emily Navarro is ranked number three overall in the individual singles rankings. Cats number four, which sets up one hell of a match, man, on court one. Whew. That's going to be a doozy, man. Um, and we're going to need Lee to play, as I said earlier, with that same level of intensity and focus that we saw from her this weekend because she's got a, a top 10 opponent of her own. I do not think Virginia is as deep as us, one through six in the singles lineups. That's one of the strengths of our team. We're just so deep. But we better be ready to play because they have two really good players in the top lines there. The doubles point can be huge, as it always is. So, I mean, th- at this point, when you get this far in, in, into the NCAA tournament, no team... It is a bad team. Obviously, they're all capable of beating you. We know that. We know those coach truisms. I'm sure Coach Wallace and, and Drake are, are saying that to the to our team right now. But uh, this is a good team, and we better bring our A game because if not, they are capable of beating us. I think we are the better team, but they are capable of beating us if we don't come out ready to play. But I have confidence in this team, in these girls, in our coaching staff to have them ready to play and uh, hopefully survive in advance and move on to the Elite Eight. But all right, on to the men's side of things. Our guys are not seated quite as high as the women, but still high enough to be a national seed at number 11 overall, which means they also got to host a regional in Athens this weekend as well. That's why it was there was so much tennis going on. Uh, my face, my wife told me, is an art project right now because I had a hat on, off. It's just like sunburns all over the place. The farmer's tan is in full effect. It's uh, it's an interesting look right now. I'll just put that out there. I have to go to work tomorrow, and I don't know how people are going to take that. They're all going to point and laugh at me, but that's okay. You've got to be able to, to laugh at yourself. It's all good. But anyway, the men were in town this weekend as well. The first round, we took down East Tennessee State, really with minimal effort, on Saturday afternoon in, the, in round one. We won the doubles points uh, with wins on courts one and three. Uh, Phil made short work of his opponent, Phil Henning, if you guys know what I'm talking about. Phil Henning on court three uh, from South Africa. He made short work of his opponent with a dominant 6-1-6-0 win on Saturday afternoon. Then it was Blake Croyder on court four with a pretty easy 6-3-6-1 win of his own. And he and Blake, let me stop here and say this about Blake. Blake is really rounding into form after that midseason back injury that really set him back and set the team back. And then once he got back from the injury, he was cleared to play. He was playing. He was clearly not 100%. He couldn't get as much on his serve. You could just see it was frustrating him at times. He wasn't himself still. But he you know, he put his team first. He's out there grinding through it. But he looks 100% again. He's serving well. He doesn't look like there's any, it doesn't look like there's any limitations with him right now. He looks like the Blake of old. And prior to the injury, he, he had a heck of a streak. I can't remember exactly what the number was. Maybe 18 straight 
dual match win, something like that, before his back injury. But he's back. That's awesome. And that's helping this team a ton. And then it was the Swede, Eric Gravilius, on court six with the 6-3, 6-2 clinch of the match Saturday afternoon. And Eric... Let me say this about Eric, too. Eric has become a really valuable player for us on court six and singles. He's a sophomore now, and court six is a really good fit for him. Early in his career, he was having to play up, you know, court four, court five. At that point in his career, he just wasn't quite ready for that. But he's really playing some good tennis for us on court six and singles, and he is awesome in doubles. I, I honestly, again, tennis novice here, but from my point of view, I think Eric is our best doubles player. And we have some really, he plays court three, so he doesn't play on the top line, he doesn't play on court two. I think Eric is the best player that we have from a double standpoint though, because he's just, well, at least from the net, okay? Playing at the net is is more important in doubles than it is in singles, for those of you who don't know as much about tennis, because you, most of the time, you're gonna have one, at least one of players, not all the time, there's different things you can do, there's different strategies you can use, but a lot of the time you're gonna have one of those players that's gonna be up at the net. Um, you can poach balls all the whole nine yards. And Eric is really, like volleying becomes far more important in doubles than it is in singles. And Eric is, at the very least, maybe if, if he's not the best overall doubles player, like in just doubles in general, he's the best volleyer we have, in my opinion. I think he's the best player we have at the net. I think that makes him an incredibly viable doubles player. And he, and he does a good job in singles too. He knows that's his strength. And he does a good job of kind of forcing his opponents to kind of play more at the net in singles and can win a lot of points there. So I, I'm really happy for him because he, he's another guy. Like we have a team of a really great guys. Honestly. And I will be honest with you guys, there have been some years in the past where I don't know if you could say that about every player in our team, um, where we just had a bunch of good guys, but some of those guys are those guys are gone now. And this is a really, really good group of dudes. And I really enjoy watching them play. Not only do you root for them because they're they're Georgia guys and they're Georgia players, but they're just good dudes. And you root for them on from that perspective as well. Like Tyler Zing, Trent Bride, Phil Henning, Blake Crowder. Blake's such a crazy person out there. Billy uh, Billy Rowe coming over from Vanderbilt as a grad transfer. He's been just a, a great leader for this team. Just another great guy. And Eric falls in there too. Like there's not a bad guy on this team. So it, it's just really great. Like when these guys have success, you love it because George is having success, but you also root for these guys as, as just dudes too. And so Eric's one of those guys. So it's really good to see him kind of get into a rhythm here and playing some really good tennis for us. So no worries there against East Tennessee State. But today was a totally different story. Sure, the final score, if you just look at the box score, you'd say, oh yeah, we, we won easy. It says 4 nothing, But that absolutely does not tell the entire story of this match against Texas Tech because we had to work for this one. The girls had to sweat a little bit yesterday against Wake Forest to get that W and to move on to the Sweet 16. The guys had to work maybe a little bit more today against Texas Tech because Tech gave it all they had. They really did. But at the end of the day, our guys were just too much. And it started out as an extremely competitive doubles point. Uh, and for those of you who don't watch college tennis as much, you don't know how the setup works. I think we've kind of explained this before. In case you missed it, that's all good. Explain it again. The setup is basically, you. it's whichever team gets four out of seven overall points. Imagine it's like Major League Baseball or NBA playoffs when it's a seven-game series, right? Well, it's whatever team wins is the first to win four games, right? And it's kind of the same thing in college tennis, four out of seven. And what you have is you have six singles matches, and then you have which in each of those singles matches counts as one point for your team. Okay, so if Trent Briley today he won on court one in singles, that gave us one point for our team total. And it's the first team that gets to four total points. All right, so you you have those six singles matches. Each match equals one point, and then you have the doubles point. Okay, now this is where it gets a little confusing because there are three doubles matches that are played. Okay, but you're only awarded the 
team that wins the doubles points only awarded one point, okay? It's not like we have three doubles matches played and each doubles match is worth one point. It's not how that works, okay? Whichever team wins two out of three of the doubles matches, which are played before the singles matches, whichever team wins two out of three of the doubles matches gets the one doubles point, okay? And that one doubles point oftentimes can be the difference in these matches. It is a critical point to, ha- to have that before you start to play singles because it's very it's very hard for teams, especially when there's two evenly matched teams, to win four out of six singles. That That's tough. That's tough. So if you win that doubles point, that means you only have to win three out of the six singles matches and you win the match, which is first to four, okay? So I just want to put that out there in case you're kind of not exactly familiar with how that worked. I had to learn that myself when I first started watching college tennis. I had no idea the first match I went to was like, what's going on? And I was pulling things up my phone, trying to like figure it out like on the fly. I was like, okay, I think I got this. And now, you know, it's just how it works. I know how this works now. But anyway, uh, the doubles point is extraordinarily competitive. Court one with Trent Bride and Tyler Zink. They won uh, fairly easy. I think it was, was it 6-3, 6-4, one of those two. Uh, they were the first one off the court. But then it was back and forth on courts two and three. It could have gone either way. Both courts two and three went to tie breaks. And in doubles, we don't, the, the, each doubles match is only one set. They don't play two sets. So it's kind of a shortened thing, right? And so, like, like, for instance, the girls, they can be a very quick match. On Friday against Austin P, I think the girls' doubles point was like 27 minutes. That's how quick it was. The guys was about an hour today. Um, so we went back and forth on courts two and three. Billy Rowe and Blake Crowder on court two had a chance to serve for the match late in the match, but got broken and ended up in a tie break, as did Eric Gravilius and Phil Henning on court three. But Eric and Phil hunkered down and were able to win the tiebreak 7-3 to earn the dogs, the doubles points. So we went into singles play up 1-0. We needed three of those of those six singles matches to win the overall match. So it was not easy. It was not easy. Getting the doubles point was huge because singles was not easy for us. Trent Bride did notch on court one singles, notch the first singles win. But even he had to work, especially in that first set. He was down 5-3 in the first set. It looked like he was going to lose that, that that first set. But he fought back. you got to give him credit. He showed that fight and was able to get it back to 6-6 and force a first set tiebreak, which he actually won 7-2. He dominated the tiebreak. And he was kind of rolling from there. That clearly gave him confidence because he just cruised in the second to a, a 6-2 second set victory and won the, that point for us. And you can see he, he was kind of questioning himself in that first set. He wasn't playing like, like he normally does. There wasn't a good vibe out there. Some unforced errors in that first set. He really straightened things out and cruised to a 7-6, 6-2 victory, giving us uh, another point, putting it at 2-0 overall. And then it was Tyler Zink on court two and Blake Croyder on court four that finished their matches almost simultaneously. I think Zink got it first, and Blake was like right after that. I think at least that's how the official rec- the, the record book went down. But Zink was serving at 5-5, and had to hold off a couple break points to get to 6-5 in the first set. And then he was able to get the late break to win that first set, 7-5. It was a very competitive first set, kind of went back and forth. And then he broke early in the second set and was able to hold on for a 7-5, 6-3 victory. But again, he did have to fight off a couple of break points in the second set to come up with some huge holds on a couple of different services there. But at the end of the day, he just um, he fought it off and won that 7-5, 6-3 victory. And he was on fire with his ground strokes today. And, and it, it, it's it's kind of similar to Leah Ma in some ways. I think Tyler Zink might have the highest ceiling of any player on our team. He's young himself. He's a sophomore. Actually, technically, he's a, I guess technically he's a freshman. Last year was his first year on campus and it wasn't a full season. So technically by COVID rules and COVID years, he's a freshman, but he's it's his second year on campus. But... 
he's he's got to continue to get better and improve. But he has improved so much as the season's gone on. He's inside the top thirty in singles right now. He's he spent the first half of the season in the seventies in singles, but he's really he beat the number three singles player in the country from Texas A&M a couple of weeks ago. It was a huge victory for him. Really good for his confidence. And he's just gotten better and better and better. Just a really coachable guy. He's different. He kind of has a different demeanor out there than a lot of the other guys. Like he's quiet most of the time. Seems a little bit more introverted. But then he'll kind of explode with that passion, when, like when he gets a big point or wins a, a big game or whatever it is. So I really like watching him play. And he's really, really good. But he was on fire with his ground strokes today, and he plays so hard too. Again, really all of our guys do. It's really easy to root for this team. But Tyler just it's kind of like Megan away. Just doesn't give up on points, and he has great length to go with that so he can get to a lot of balls. He did, it seemed like, again, here's Tyler, the tennis novice here. It seemed to me like he was struggling some early on with his returns, but his ground strokes were just so good once we got into the points that he was able to make up for it with enough winners. I mean, he was he was really striking the ball well today. And then Blake Croyder had one of those strange matches, which is hard for, like, I'm getting into playing tennis myself now over the past year. And I'm finding out like this happens. And I like forever I would watch tennis matches and be like, how does this, how is this possible? But he had one, but it is, it just happens sometimes. So he lost the first set 1-6. You're like, oh, wow, okay, maybe it's a mismatch for Blake. But then he rallies to win the second set 6-1 himself. So they go back to back 1-6-6-1. And then ironically, after each of the first two sets were blowouts in different directions, the third set, of course, goes to a tiebreak where Blake was eventually able to pull it out 7-3 and get the clinch again almost simultaneously there with Tyler Zink on court two. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So that put us at 4 0, but again, it was not easy. Phil hitting on court three was up 4 2 in the third set. He won the first set. 6-2, lost the second set, 6-3, or 3-6, was up 4-2 in the third, was on his way to winning his match. Billy Rowe on court five, the grad transfer from Vanderbilt, lost the first set, 4-6. He had a couple of break opportunities on court five in the first set. I think he was actually up, again, don't quote me on this, but if I remember correctly, he was up 15-40 and had like triple game point or triple break point a couple of games, if I remember correctly, in the first set and just couldn't quite convert the break there. But he rallied in the second set to win that 7-5 and was just starting the third set. And really, I don't worry about Billy. Billy's just so consistent down there. He's so composed, so much experience. If he loses the first set, like I'm not worried about it. I've seen Billy just fight back many times this season. He's had some huge third set clinches for us this season, probably most notably against Kentucky, who's a really good team this year. They got upset this weekend, but man, that, that was a really good Kentucky team. And uh, he had a huge, uh, I think it was the, yeah, it was, it was a decisive match. It was the final match. It was everyone had moved down there to the pit and Billy came up huge. And he's done that a couple times this year. So I don't really worry about Billy. He probably would, would have ended up winning that match as well. And then Eric Gravilius on court six won the first set. Uh, I think it was six, four, I want to say, or yeah, I think it was six, four. And then he was, he was down five, six in the second, but he was playing well. I think he was better than that guy down there, but it was still, it was a tough, they gave us a, a tough match. They gave us all 
that they could, but again, we were just a little too much at the end of the day. MVP this weekend, uh, I know he didn't end up winning today. I think he would have. He was on his way to winning, but I'm going to go with Phil Henning. This one is not as obvious as it is as it was for the girls with, with Morgan Coppock, uh, but Phil had a dominant win on Saturday afternoon, played really well on doubles, had two wins in doubles, and played well today in singles as well. So I'll go with Phil. You, you can maybe go Trent. You can maybe go Tyler Zink. maybe go Blake. Any of those guys, you, you can't really go wrong there. I, but I'm going to go with Phil. I thought he played really well this weekend. So yeah. 4-0 win, but we did get pushed today. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, though, because our guys responded, and that can build confidence when you're heading further and further into the NCAA tournament. Um, and I, I kind of get the feeling that this team is rounding into form at the right time. We've won 10 of our last 12 matches after um, an early conference season skid where we had two of our top four singles players, Blake Croyer and Trent Bright, out with back injuries, and they came back. They weren't 100%, but once they've gotten healthy now, we are rolling, and this team is really rounding into form. Won 10 of our last 12, with two wins against top 10 teams over that stretch. Everyone is healthy, confidence is growing, and I like what I see. But saying that, dude, we got one heck of a tough draw because up next in the Sweet 16, we have number six overall seed, North Carolina. Now, whoever the number six overall seed is at this point in the NCAA tournament, when you get to this week 16, they're going to be good any given year. Of course, we know that. But this is no normal number six overall seed. North Carolina was ranked number one for most of this season. In fact, they were ranked number one as recently as March 29th. They had a few injuries themselves, just like we've had, to a couple of their top players. And as you can imagine, when that happens, they're not going to be as good. They lost three matches over the last month of the season or so to drop to number six. But of course, of course, all of those guys are back healthy now in the NCAA tournament, including their number one singles player, Will Bloomberg. We actually saw him play the last time. I think he was a freshman the last time that the NCAA tournament was in Athens. What was that, 2017? Yeah, I want to say it was 2017. And we played them in the Final Four, and I thought we were going to beat them. I thought that we were going to beat them. We had them, at least I felt like we had them. But the rain came, the match moved indoors, got delayed for a while, and what we were kind of rolling there when it got moved indoors... That kind of stopped our momentum, and they were able to grab control of that match and ultimately win that match and go on to the championship match. Now, they lost that championship match to Virginia, if I remember correctly. But yeah, that was an epic match. I think we would have won that match if it hadn't moved indoors, but it did, and that's how that worked out. So he's still around. He was their... I don't think he was playing once... Maybe he was playing one single to them, but he was... When you watch them play back in 2017, you're like, oh, that dude is really, really good. And he's back. He's been ranked as high as number two this season in singles. And he's really good, man. He's really, really good. He's back healthy now. He's one of their guys that was injured. So this is a very unfortunate draw for us. I, I wish we hadn't lost that quarterfinals match to South Carolina in the SEC tournament because that would have put us in a little bit better position. Like we wouldn't have been the 11 seed. We probably would have been the 9 or 10 seed. And you avoid playing North Carolina in the quarterfinals after they've been ranked number one for most of this year. But you know what? It's going to be a challenge. It is. There's no doubt about that. Let's not gloss over it. It's definitely going to be quite the challenge. 
but something tells me our guys are up to it. I've said for a while now that we are good enough to be anyone on any given day when we play our game and play our best tennis. Now, you don't know if that's what we're going to get next week against North Carolina, but if it is, we absolutely can win that match. We can win that match. The key is going to be the doubles point. It's going to be very hard for either one of these teams, North Carolina or Georgia, to roll off four singles wins in that match. That's going to be tough. So the doubles points always critical, but in a match like this, it takes on even more importance. So that match is Monday at 10 a.m., not as in like tomorrow Monday, but Monday the 17th at 10 a.m. The girls play a week from today. Uh, was that Sunday the 16th at 10 a.m. I'll be down there. I think Charlie will be down there too. So we're going to have a ton of coverage for you guys from the USTA National Campus. I don't know if Curtis is going to make it. He's getting ready to start his summer internship. So I don't know if that'll start yet or not. But if he can, he'll be down there too. So we have a lot of coverage for you guys from Orlando slash Lake Nona slash USTA National Campus where this is going to be played. It ain't Athens. I think all... Insulate tennis tournament should be played in Athens. In fact, one of the, uh, I think it was the ETSU coach who said after our match on Saturday that he felt that every single cautionist player should have a chance to play in Athens before their career is over. And I a thousand percent agree. I've told you guys outside of Sanford Stadium, there is no better atmosphere on the Georgia campus. Like when things are rolling, when you get to the Insulate tournament, there is no better atmosphere on the campus outside of Sanford Stadium. And like baseball is a good atmosphere. Basketball, when we're good, and then big games can be a nice atmosphere. But nothing beats the Dan McGill Tennis Complex come insulate tournament time. So it ain't Athens. I wish it was in Athens. But hopefully, regardless of where it's played, we will be bringing home some hardware in a couple of weeks. So we'll definitely have more for you guys. We'll be back to our regular football business later on this week. But just got back in from the match. Just had to get on here, felt compelled, had to talk some Georgia tennis, give these guys, give these ladies the love that they deserve, and we'll have things covered for you for the next, uh, hopefully next couple of weeks as we make our way through the Insulate Tournament. And yes, for you baseball fans, I know, I'm not trying to shortchange baseball, huge win on Saturday against Arkansas going today. And look, I... I know you guys listening, you probably already know what happened. I don't know what happened. I'm recording this. The game is going on right now. It's what? It's about 4 o'clock right now, 4.30. Game is still going on, but I'm watching it on delay as soon as I get done with this. So I can't tell you right now if the Dogs won their second series of the year against a number one ranked team. We already did that on the road at Vanderbilt earlier this year. And we're going forward again today. Got Ryan Webb, who's really our ace, on the on the bump today. He didn't pitch Friday. Give him a couple extra days. He has some back spasms after his last start against Auburn. But man, that would really be a massive boost to our postseason chances if he can get that done today. So we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that later on this week. I didn't want anyone to think I was trying to shortchange baseball. I just don't know what happened. I happen to be at the tennis matches all weekend, so I can give you a first-hand account of what's going on there. So I'll, I'll watch this baseball game as soon as I get done here and get this uploaded. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on in the week. But thanks for listening, guys. We'll have our football stuff for you later on this week. Actually, the rest of this week. And we'll be having, of course, as I said at the outset, the first edition of our scheme theme month that we're going to carry through the month of May. And who knows, if you guys like it, if you have good reception, we'll carry it on through June as well. So I'm really excited about that. been working on this for a while, trying to put together some really good stuff for you guys to just help you kind of maybe 
see football in a little bit of a different way and understand it on a different level than maybe you have before. Hopefully that will kind of enhance your enjoyment of college football season as it gets here in a couple of months, which is a crazy thing. Man, it'll be here right before we know it. So thanks for listening, guys. I really do appreciate it. Have a great week. And uh, as always, go dogs. <laughs>